Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we're the Minimalists. Home ownership versus renting. What are the upsides and downsides of each? Which option is better for you? What are the minimalist thoughts on both? That's what we're talking about today on this public edition of the Minimalist Podcast. Then this Thursday on the Minimalist Private Podcast, we're going to talk about 15 products that add value to our lives. Are they minimalist products? You get to decide. We'll also talk about my new home that I just purchased in a small town. Where is it? Why am I moving there? Where else did I consider living? Is this a permanent move? Are Bex and Josh still living separately? That's uh, what the questions have been asking. Also, mm. are Josh and Ryan breaking up live on the podcast? You wish. Bad <laughs> <laughs> chance. Ryan, if you ever leave me, I'm coming with you. <laughs> <laughs> so romantic. You can check that out on the private podcast, theminimalists.com slash Patreon to subscribe. You get your personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. Your support keeps our podcast and YouTube channel 100% advertisement free because advertisements suck. Ryan, let's get to our first question right now from Mary over on Patreon. Let's do it. What are the minimalist thoughts on renting versus owning a home? Mm. Ryan, I don't ever want to own a home. <laughs> I don't want to ever rent a home. Ah. <laughs> now, here's, here's the problem. So for the longest time, I thought there was a right answer to this. Yeah, me what too. What is better? Right. Is it better to rent or is it better to own? Yeah. And the answer to that is, well, it depends. 100%. Now, let's talk about some of the factors here. One of the factors is, well, how do I feel about home ownership? Now, mm. me personally, there's actually, there's this article, Ryan, we're going to read on the Maxwell episode this week over on Patreon, but I wanted to read point five from, this is from our friend, Derek Sivers. He uh, talks about choosing the plan with the most options. For example, renting a house is buying the option to move at any time without losing money in a changing market. 100%. Yeah, you can turn your life around on a dime pretty easily if you're just renting. And there are times, though, like right now, where the housing market has been over the course of last year or two, where you could sell a house same day, pretty much. Yeah. Because of the market was much more of a a seller's market, right? Mm-hmm. And so there were multiple bids. I went through this myself recently as I was buying a new home. Mm. And it's weird because I don't, if it was just me, I would never own a home personally mm. because exactly what Derek Sivers is saying here. I like that flexibility, that freedom, that ability to move on, the mobility, the untetheredness mm-hmm. of renting. However, mm-hmm. I have a family, my wife and, and daughter, yeah. and I know it's been important to my wife. And this isn't a core value of mine to not own a house, right? Right. It's simply a, a aesthetic surface level value. Yeah, right? a, a preference maybe? It is, yeah. yeah. And so when we, de- when we delineate our values, you have foundational values, you have structural values, and you have surface values. It's a surface value for me. I value renting over home ownership. Yeah. However, some people value home ownership. 
I will add a caveat here. Mm. There's no true thing as home ownership in the United States. Yeah, what is... Oh, yeah, right. Because if you don't pay taxes, the government will take your house. And it's pretty difficult to get them to take your house from you, but it yeah. is certainly possible, yeah. right? And so I, I just want to throw that caveat out there. But let's talk about home ownership. What are my thoughts on it? Can you afford the house mm -hmm. is a qualifying question. Yeah, and I mean, monetarily, but there are all those other costs too, right? That's exactly it. And some of those costs are much higher for some of us. Mm. So like, I have a friend who is really, really handy with things. Actually, you know, Jordan, who just bought uh, a house, uh, he and his girlfriend, um, they have a house together they're now living in. And he's going through all of these um, renovations and painting. Mm. And, and he's really, really handy. So he has the skills. But even there, I think it's testing his patience and his limits at this point. <laughs> he's giving me a vigorous head nod. He spent the last week painting things, moving cabinets, and oh wow, and just uh, you know trying to fix up a house. Mm -hmm. And when you're renting, none of those costs exist. Right. However, sometimes there are people who really enjoy fixing up a house, repairing things. I envy those people so much. <laughs> I really do. Like, I wish I loved doing the handiwork. I will say, like, once you do, uh, you know, like a little chore or a little something, when when I'm complete with it, it feels so good. Like, I'm glad I did it. But um, during the process, I'm just like cussing and it takes me like three times as long to like do something because I don't know how to do it. So I got to like YouTube it and follow the steps. And anyway, yeah, I admire people who love that 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 uh, housework stuff. And so for some people, it's draining for me and you. Mm -hmm. I think especially for me, it's it's really draining to do stuff like that. Yeah. For other people, it's invigorating. It's life giving. Mm. And so if you're the type of person where it's life giving to repair things, fix things up, redecorate things, move things around, shift, constantly comfortable with change, then owning a home might be a blessing for you. Yeah. For someone else, it could definitely yeah. be a burden. Right. And for me, it tends to be a burden. So I worked, yeah. some, uh, uh, I worked out a deal with my wife and I said, hey, I don't want to, I want to pretend that I'm essentially renting this house. We're just paying <laughs> a mortgage payment every month. Yeah. Now, for me, that means being able to pay off the house within 15 years, mm -hmm. ideally sooner, not an adjustable rate mortgage, but a fixed rate mortgage. Yeah. And can I afford the payment? Mm -hmm. And if not, then I can't afford the house. If I can't afford to pay it off in 15 years, I can't afford the house either. And I, because ideally, I don't want any debt. The only debt that I'm willing to go into, in fact, I got a mortgage for this house. It's the only debt that I have yeah. at all. Mm -hmm. It's the only debt that's acceptable in my own life. Mm. And so what are the minimalist thoughts on owning a home? It depends on who you are. Mm -hmm. If it is a blessing, if it's life affirming for you, then it can be a wonderful thing. Yeah. If renting and having that freedom of renting is more valuable to you, what are your values? If you understand what your values are, that'll help you make that decision. Yeah. Because for me, freedom is incredibly important. So I look at this house, I don't want to be able to deal with anything. If, if a pipe busts, Hey, Bex, you deal with the plumber. <laughs> I'll, I'm paying the rent here so that you can be the landlord of the house. <laughs> I'm going to go into details on the yeah. Maximal episode this week because she and I have lived apart. You know, we've been together for seven, over seven years now, mm -hmm. and uh, we've lived apart this entire time. And mm -hmm. one of the questions is, are we still going to live apart? How are we going to manage that? Because we don't want to live together. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, man, uh, I bought my first home at age 25. And I did it for all the wrong reasons. I was renting. Uh, my lease was up. My rent was, you know, for, for Dayton, Ohio, it was pretty high. I mean, Centerville is kind of a ritzy area. And 
um, yeah, rent was a little expensive. And I, I was told by a, a girl I was dating at the time, her, her uh, stepfather was a realtor. And he's like, oh, you're throwing your money away. You know, look at how much money you're spending on rent. You could spend that same amount of money on a, on a house payment. And then you're putting your money towards something. You, you've got equity. You're actually uh, paying towards an investment rather than throwing away uh, your, your money each month. So n- combine that with the house credit, the tax credit that they were offering at the time. I think when you bought a house, like you got $6,000 or something. I was like, oh, it'd be stupid not to buy a house. I'm throwing my money away. Uh, there's $6,000 I'm leaving on the table. Mm-hmm. And man, um, I ended up losing in the end of that. Like when I sold that house five years later, I lost uh, over $10,000 on that house. And uh, yeah, I mean, I-, I did it for all the wrong reasons. I didn't really consider you know, what I was going to get for buying this house. I just was told, here's the right thing to do. Here's a couple examples of why this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I just went into it. I did not do it very deliberately. And that is, it's one of the most biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life. And uh, as far as like, you know, money wise goes, um, it was, a, it was a, a lesson. Like it was an adult lesson. I remember feeling like when I had to write that check, to cover the difference between when I sold it, what the people paid for it, and when I and what uh, I owed on it, mm-hmm. I had to cut that check. That was um, that hurt, man. That really, really hurt. So let's talk about some of those signs that you're talking about mm-hmm. here. That it doesn't make sense to buy a house. Mm-hmm. One, we already covered. You can't afford it. I mean, you can't afford the monthly payment. But two, you can't afford the additional costs, the psychological mm-hmm. costs of owning mm-hmm. a home, the time, the upkeep, the maintenance, the middle of the night, the water heater burst, whatever it is. Yeah. These are all your problems now, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you can't afford that cost, that is a tremendous sign that, oh, I should avoid owning a house right now, mm-hmm. buying a house right now. Here's a third sign, though. If everyone else is telling you this is what you should do, this is what I'm supposed to do, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean they're telling you directly, although in your, li- in your case, they actually were telling you directly. Yeah, yeah. But society is also telling you directly that to own a home is virtuous. Mm. And that is not true. Yeah. Uh, owning a home doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't make you more virtuous. It doesn't make you more complete. It doesn't make you the best version of yourself, mm-hmm. right? You can be all of those things without owning a home. In fact, a home could very likely incomplete you yeah. because it's taking away time, money, resources, energy, mm-hmm. skills away from more meaningful pursuits. I say more meaningful and I mean more meaningful to you yeah. because home ownership can also be very meaningful for my wife, you know, her having a garden in the backyard and, and being able to take care of a home. And she enjoys getting up on the roof and removing the leaves from the mm. roof. And I'm like, okay, like <laughs> I never, ever want to do that. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And understanding what your boundaries are, mm. are really helpful in making a decision. Yeah. Which actually brings me to our next question here. We have a question from Facebook, Cindy on Facebook. I'm a 59 year old divorcee living in SoCal and have always rented but I still have a dream of owning a home one day. Is it logical to even consider home ownership at my age? I'd say it's not logical to consider a 30-year mortgage. Although our friend Chris Ryan says, I think that um, the best time to go into debt is when you're like 80 years old. (laughs) Take on that 30 or 40-year mortgage at age 90. Right. And the weird thing is a lot of banks will give someone who is 60 years old a 40-year mortgage mortgage or a 30-year mortgage. Fewer banks will do that now than they would back in the the heyday of the oddies yeah. where they were just handing out loans. When I bought a home at 22, I built a home. Yeah. Now, I grew up poor. I was four years removed from being poor. Mm. I was still broke. I didn't oh, have yeah. a down payment. And they're like, that's okay. Wow. Zero dollars down. Mm. 
oh, I'd be stupid not to do it, right? Yeah. That's what I told myself. I put myself in a similar situation to you, Ryan, in my 20s where we were underwater. When the housing market crashed, Mm -hmm. my house value was, my house was valued about $80,000 less than what I owed on the house. Yeah. It was similar to a car in that respect. You buy a brand new car and all of a sudden you drive it off a lot and half the value is gone in some cases. Yeah. And I felt the same way with the home that I built. And if I were to go back and learn all of the lessons I learned from that is I did it too soon. I did it because I was supposed to do it. Mm -hmm. It was something that I could afford the monthly payment on, but I couldn't afford a 15-year mortgage on it. I could only afford it because of no down payment, which is another another thing. If I can't put at least 20% down, yeah. then I'm not willing to take on that burden. By the way, because then you have to pay PMI and there's right. other, other fees associated with this. You're going to end up spending more money as a result. Yeah. But also keep it in mind, I want to be able to pay this house off as soon as possible. So I'm 59 years old. Mm-hmm. By the time I'm 69 or 65, mm-hmm. I'd love to have that house paid off. I think that's one of the biggest benefits of home ownership is not having to pay a landlord every month. You still have to pay the government every month or every three months or every six months. Yeah. Yeah. Every year they they demand their shekels, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And they have a monopoly on violence. So I always give them my <laughs> the money they, they ask for, right? This podcast took a weird turn. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, But what I'll tell you is that it doesn't matter what age you are, Buying a home is never a 100% logical decision because you're a human being. And so there are emotions involved. It may be the most logical decision to rent or it might be the most logical decision to buy depending on your circumstance. Here's what I'll say is it's not the most logical decision for me to share my resources with my wife. Logically, it doesn't make 100% logical sense. Mm. But... I'm not just a automaton, right? I'm mm-hmm. a human being. My wife's a human being. It makes a lot more emotional sense mm. to be with my wife than it does to just be on my own in perpetuity. For other people, however, it might be a little bit different. And so I think your question, Cindy, is a bit incomplete here. Does it make logical sense? Yeah, probably. Mathematically, if you can figure out the math, then it will make logical sense for you if you can afford it. Does it make emotional sense for you? Mm. Not just what's going on in your head, but what's going on in, in your heart. Mm. Tom from Facebook has a question for us. What is the price to rent formula and how can we use it to decide whether renting or buying is more appropriate for us? Hmm. Podcast, Sean, I have a article to put in the show notes here. By the way, we've got Podcast Sean here and other Sean. If you're watching this on YouTube or if you're just listening to the audio version, you can vote in the comments. We're trying to decide, is it other Sean? Is it Sean 2? Is it new Sean? Mm-hmm. Or is it Professor Sean? I'll let you d- vote on that in the YouTube comments. And um, he's going to be filling in for Podcast Sean. Podcast Sean, we're going to talk about this on the Maximal episode this week, the private podcast. In fact, I think we're going to drag Podcast Sean onto the camera. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have a conversation with Podcast Sean about leaving Los Angeles. We're still going to be working with him, but he's leaving LA. He's finally all grown up. That's right. <laughs> he graduated. That's right. He's in yeah. his 50th year right now. Yeah. I, uh, I texted him on his birthday. Yeah. And I said, uh, welcome to your 50th year. He's like, I'm not 50 yet. I'm like, I know, this is your 50th year. <laughs> you just turned 49. 
Although he looks uh, 29. My goodness. I know, man. I'm yeah. so jealous. I need his skincare routine. Oh, whatever, man. You still get carded for cough syrup, man. And you're 40. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I buy a lot of cough syrup. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, vote, uh, we have new new Sean here. Other Sean. Sean 2 here. Uh, they will put a link. One of the Seans will put a link in the show notes for this article, Ryan. This one is from smartasset.com. It's called Price to Rent Ratio in the 50 Largest U.S. Cities. I just wanted to read this really quick because depending on where you live, and I think this is a follow-up also to Cindy's question to a great extent, depending on where you live also determines whether or not it makes sense to purchase a home. What is the better option, right? Mm -hmm. And so it goes on to say, the article says, depending on your circumstances, renting or buying a home can be a smart financial decision. Home ownership, however, can help you, home ownership can help you build equity and lower taxes while renting offers greater, greater flexibility and convenient services. Keeping this in mind, Smart Asset ranked the 50 largest U.S. cities according to the price to rent ratio. To calculate the price to rent ratio for the 50 biggest nationwide cities nationwide, we took a look at how the medium home value correlates to the medium median annual rent. Generally, a lower price to rent ratio means conditions are more favorable for buying a home and a higher price to rent ratio means renting is favorable. So we're going to talk about some of these cities here. I'm not going to read the whole article to you. It's a long one. But I just want to go into this here. Here were the key findings in the article, Ryan. The largest U.S. cities are good for renters. San Francisco, mm. New York, San Jose, Seattle, and Los Angeles are all in the top 10 of this study and are all among the most populous cities in the country. Mm. I will tell you this. This is why Bex and I moved out of L.A. County mm. because she really wanted to buy a home. I supported her in that decision. We found homes that we could afford and they weren't in this neighborhood. Yeah. In fact, the home that we bought outside of LA County mm-hmm. is you couldn't even buy a piece a teardown house in this neighborhood for yeah. example. There yeah, are yeah. studios in. Yeah. Although I will say that our commercial rent here is relatively inexpensive relative to the home prices of the homes that are just across the street. Yeah. That's that's different from the home ownership conversation though. The second finding, Ryan, is that renter-fit-friendly cities populate California while the Midwest is better for buyers. Mm. Of the 10 cities in our study where buying a home is more favorable than renting, five are in the Midwest. The median home value across these five cities, on average, is only $137,000. Wow. So let's get into some of these cities, Ryan. When was this written? This is uh, this is last year. Oh, wow. So it's less than a year old. Okay. So... Um, Cities where renting is more favorable than buying a home. Here's the top 10. And I'll, then I'll call out some specifics in two of these cities. San Francisco, Oakland, New York, San Jose, Los Angeles, Seattle, Long Beach, California, which is LA, mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., San Diego, Boston. Yeah. All major cities. A lot of them are tech cities as well. I think if you expand that to 20 cities or so, you'll start to see cities like Miami mm. creep up into there, mm-hmm. maybe even Nashville. Um, it kind of depends, you know, where the housing market shifts significantly. Like right now, I saw this statistic that uh, the rent in the Tampa Bay area where we own our coffee shop, mm-hmm. uh, we're in St. Petersburg, Bandit Coffee, yeah. but uh, the Tampa Bay area as a whole had the highest rent increase. And in some areas of the Tampa Bay of Tampa Bay, sixty-seven percent rent increase year over year. That's insane. It, it's 
it's unsustainable, right? And so what we're learning is some markets, it made more sense to rent for the longest time, but then Mm. the pendulum sometimes swings the other way. Yeah. Let's talk about two of these cities, Ryan. So number one on that list, cities where renting is more favorable, Mm -hmm. San Francisco. Oh, yeah. California is the first of three Bay Area cities in the top five of this study. Mm. The median home income, home value rather, is $1.2 million. That's essentially your average house average is $1.2 million. Yeah, where in the Midwest, it's $137,000. That's right. Wow. And the median annual rent is $23,000, which is also the second highest. But it's still favor- more favorable to rent in San Francisco than to buy. Yeah. So if you are doing a 30-year mortgage on a $1.3 million house or $2 million, whatever that number was, uh, your 30-year mortgage payment, mm-hmm. not a 15-year, your 30-year mortgage payment. Which gonna, you don't want to do if yeah. you can't afford to pay it off in 15. Yeah. So uh, that that's going to fall around like $6,000 a month, give or take, give or take a little bit, um, where the average rent at $23,000 a year you're looking at less than uh, $2,000 a month on average for rent. So like that's where I think that's what that article is trying to point out. It's like, hey, you can rent something mm-hmm. for about, you know, two grand a month or you can buy something for about six grand a month. Right. And uh, yeah, not, I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to triple your your rent and and make that payment. Uh, yeah, I totally, yeah. I, I like how where this article is going. It makes a ton of sense. And yeah. especially when you start to factor in the 15 year and then you also factor in, the taxes, which are much higher in yeah. California, because you were. Ta- I mean, when I owned a house in in Dayton, for example, mm-hmm. you're taxed on the assessed value of the house. So mm. I owned a house that was worth about two hundred thousand dollars, the most recent house I own. Mm-hmm. But the taxes, I think, were for sixty four thousand dollars. Oh wow! Yeah, and so you weren't taxed on what you could sell it for. But in California, let's say you buy one of these houses at one point two million dollars, mm-hmm. you're taxed on the one point two, even if it sold previously for. $300,000. Yeah. As soon as it sells for 1.2, now you're taxed at 1.2. And that varies from state to state. So you have to check your local state or even your local county yeah. to determine the the tax rate there. This is really making me feel good about renting in Los Angeles, actually. Well, in fact, that's the next <laughs> city here that I have listed. Number five on the list, Ryan, for where renting is more favorable than buying, Los Angeles mm-hmm. has the fifth highest median home value and with just around $700,000. Now, I will say this. Keep in mind, that's that's an average. So that includes Azusa mm-hmm. and Compton and South Central yeah. and West Hollywood and Studio City mm-hmm. and Burbank. Like It has all of these different areas, this amalgamation of these 88 different communities, right? Yeah. And so in some areas like this neighborhood, I saw a teardown home mm-hmm. a few blocks from here. Yeah. $2.7 million. For a teardown home. So you're, you're basically buying a piece of land that you have to clear. Mm-hmm. So there's that additional cost. And then you got to build a house on top of it. I mean, that's a, that, that sounds like a $5 million investment to me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so Crazy. thinking about that is what, I mean, that's, that's unfathomable for most of us. Oh yeah. I, yeah Certainly for us. Yeah. That's anyone in this room, except for Danny, I think he comes from money. <laughs> <laughs> He just looks expensive. He does. He does. That gold chain, is that real? He looks money. See? <laughs> <laughs> but um, what I will say is that that's one of the big reasons that we couldn't buy a home where, here where we wanted. Now, mm-hmm. there are other reasons why we moved out of Los Angeles County. And I'll talk about those on the Maxwell episode. Because, Ryan, I want to talk to you about the cities where buying a home is more favorable than renting. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about those cities. Here's the top 10. 
Detroit, Memphis, Milwaukee, El Paso, Baltimore, San Antonio, Philadelphia, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Columbus, Ohio. Where's Dayton, Ohio on that list? They're not in the top 50 cities. <laughs> but Dayton is actually the second most favorable city in the country for uh, cost of living. And home uh-huh. price goes into that substantially. Yeah. It's Scranton, then, uh, then Dayton. Wow. Favorable and, for, for price, but really nothing else. How dare you, <laughs> podcast, Sean? Get out of here. <laughs> Bleep that out, new Sean. <laughs> All right. So um, w- what I will say is that yeah, there are a lot of Midwestern cities are going to be on here that don't top, fall in the top 50. So places like Youngstown, Dayton, Akron, mm-hmm. probably um, Grand Rapids or Lansing, uh, um, Fort Wayne, Indiana, right, right. Springfield, Illinois, Springfield, Missouri, mm-hmm. Springfield, Massachusetts, <laughs> Springfield, Montana. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty expensive in Montana. Yeah. They're not going to fall on this list. <laughs> anyway, uh, you'll notice that most of these cities, in fact, all of them, except one could argue El Paso, mm-hmm. are east of the Rockies. Yeah. Because home prices in what they're calling Zoom towns these days. So Zoom town, during the pandemic, a lot of people moved out of major cities into what people are calling Zoom towns now. Because they can work from home. Yes. They, they can be on Zoom and work. And so they can live anywhere, essentially. That's right. Yeah. So cities like Bozeman, Montana, yeah. which is the largest Zoom town during the pandemic. Yeah. Bozeman is you know, a place now where a lot of locals have been priced out. And Missoula is oh, similar. So sad. Boulder, yeah. Colorado. A lot of cities in the West in general, the Rockies and on the West Coast, have been priced out because mm. the 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 you people have been priced out because the the home prices have just skyrocketed. Yeah. And I'll talk about my experience on getting denied on several houses that we made offers on. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about that on the private podcast as well. But I want to get into these cities, Ryan. I'll jump yeah. in just real quick, Josh. So uh, my wife, you know, works at the post office there in Missoula. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, talked to a guy that works at K-Pax, which is one of the, I think it's the ABC affiliate. There. Oh, yeah. We've been so, on K-Pax. That's before. right. Oh, yeah, you guys That's how we knew K-Pax. we made it. <laughs> but uh, he uh, said his general manager bought uh, in Missoula, I want to say three years ago, Bought a house for one hundred and thirty-seven thousand dollars. Mm. It's now valued at four hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah, that's <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow, it's crazy how much it's. Well, the pandemic has just really messed with the housing market situation. It's, yes. yeah, it's nuts. We can talk more about it on the maximal. I would say the investment side of things. I'd be really careful about that. In fact, when we think about diversification, you don't want all of your money to be in your home, right? And I think we'll have more time to talk about that later when we're answering some questions here. But when we're talking about diversification, if 90% of your assets are in your home, Mm -hmm. you may own your home. But then if the market tanks, well, now you don't have any assets that are working for you in the stock market. So what's the uh, house ownership? To gold ratio that I should own a <laughs> hundred or I guess one to zero. Like, Perfect. Yeah, I, I don't own any gold. I don't own any yeah. commodities. No, uh, I don't buy individual stocks either. I'm not suggesting that. The reason I don't buy individual stocks, I put any of my money in my retirement money in yeah. to index funds. Right. So S and P 500, real boring stuff. Yeah. That I get to set and forget. I just have a monthly contribution going in. Mm-hmm. In fact, we have a minimalist essay about minimalist retirement planning. We'll put a link to that in yeah. the show notes as well. I feel like there's someone listening to this right now and they're thinking about how bad the stock market is and they're trepidatious to like invest in any index funds. 
but like right now the stock market is on sale. Yeah. Like it will, it will come back eventually. So uh, yeah, index funds, just to your point, like that's the safer bet for sure. It's a little bit more risky than bonds. Like bonds are like the absolute safest, right? But you don't get a very high rate of return. In fact, bonds typically don't outpace inflation. So exactly. One might argue that bonds are more risky in that respect. That's true. But but you're right. I mean, in terms of, yeah, can the stock market tank? And if you need immediate access to your money, like, for example, I had a down payment for this house. I didn't leave that in the stock market yeah. as we were looking mm-hmm. because I know like, uh oh, what if the stock market goes down 50 percent? Does my down payment go down 50 percent? I can't yeah. afford that. Right. Yeah, exactly. But if I'm waiting because all, all my money are in these 59 and a half accounts mm-hmm. for the most part, we have a SEP IRA, mm-hmm. which is like a, a self-employed uh, IRA, basically. Mm-hmm similar to a 401k. And and so that's a 59 and a half account. I mean, I'm not going to touch the money. I can't touch the money until I'm at least 59 and a half without mm-hmm. receiving some sort of penalty. Yeah. Anyway, returning to these cities, Ryan, cities where buying a home is more favorable than renting. Detroit, Michigan was number one on that list. Detroit has the lowest median home value in our study, only $59,000. Mm-hmm. And the fifth lowest median annual rent which is $10,000. So it puts the price to rent ratio at 5.67. So it is the best place to buy a home versus renting. Yeah, makes sense. Memphis, Tennessee was also on that list. It was number two. I mean, uh, I think Memphis is a bit up and coming. And and you're going to see, you're probably going to see that flip. More people have been moving into Nashville and Franklin and to a lesser extent, Knoxville and Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people, especially the last couple of years, have moved in to Tennessee because they're favorable in terms of taxes and capital gains and and civil liberties. Mm -hmm. And and also a lot of the weather there, if you can tolerate the allergies season Mm -hmm. there, it's great, you yeah, know, yeah. relative to living in Minnesota or something, right? Right, right? And so you don't have those bitter, cold winters in Nashville. Like it still, still gets gray in February and, and, and January and, and even December in Nashville. Nashville or Memphis? Uh, well, in Tennessee oh, gotcha. in general, right? Gotcha. But not nearly like it is in Dayton, Ohio, for right. example. Right. Anyway, Memphis has the second lowest media home value after Detroit. It's 116000 That's a pretty big jump from 59000 to 116000 And also the 10th lowest median annual rent. So it makes a lot more sense to rent there. Mm-hmm. And then this article, one last thing, Ryan, we'll just pick out a few of these cities. This has the price to rent ratio in the 50 largest cities in the U.S. We talked about San Francisco being number one on that list. Definitely makes sense to to rent to rent in San Francisco. But then there are other cities right here in the middle, like Minneapolis at number 18 or Colorado Springs at number 19 or Albuquerque at number 26. These are places that it's better to rent. Or we don't makes, know. It makes more sense to rent. They're, oh, okay. they're in the middle, right? Oh, so gotcha, number 50 okay. is Detroit. That's okay. where it makes more sense to okay. buy. Yeah. Number one is San Francisco makes more sense to rent. But when you get to the middle, when you're at I number 25, yeah. which is Raleigh, North Carolina, it's like, eh, it's kind of up in the air. You, it really is up to you whether or not it makes the most sense to rent or buy in that city. Yeah. I think when it falls in one of those states, like, yeah, you've got to look at other values that, that you have going on in your life. But I think one of those values is how much do you value that community? How long do you plan on staying there? Because if you don't see yourself, if you don't see yourself staying there more than five years, then you're not you're not going to make that much money off your house. In fact, you might be yeah, you might be better off to rent in that situation. I think that's a great point as well. Another thing to look at if you're going to buy a home, if you're not going to be there for at least five to seven years minimum. Yeah, I like to look at seven years. I, I'm a little bit more conservative yeah, with yeah. my money, but 
I will find that not like politically conservative, but I'm conservative with with my money. I don't like to part with it as much. <laughs> Thank um, you for the clarification. Yeah. And <laughs> and so I don't like um, when I'm looking at, at, at home prices, I don't want to go into a transaction where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be here for at least a couple of years yeah. because you're probably with all the closing costs. I remember I, I had to come to the table with so much money for closing costs, all these different things. And it's yeah. like, Oh wow! I, I'm not going to make any of this back anytime soon. That's a great point. Yeah. Buying a house is really expensive. I don't want to yes. go through the closing costs over and over again, and they tend to be relative to uh, your mortgage and mm-hmm. and uh, the price of the home. So the more expensive your home is, like if you're buying a three million dollar home or a multi million dollar home, mm-hmm. I didn't buy a multi million dollar home, mm-hmm. but um, if you're buying one like that, the closing costs are even going to be higher. Yeah. Right. Hmm. All right, we got a voicemail here. Let's move on to our callers. If you have a question or comment for our podcast, give us a call, 406-219-7839, or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. Looks like Raz has a voicemail for us. Me and my girlfriend, we're watching this uh, show now um, about uh, tiny houses, and we were wondering what's your view about those. Personally, I, I found that I find them to, to go... Uh, way too far, but uh, it's definitely a choice that some people seem to do. I think it's kind of cool. So what do you guys think? So I tend to agree with what Raz is saying here. We, it's, some people go way too far Yeah, for me, mm-hmm. but it's also a concept that I really appreciate. You know, tiny living, intentional living. I'm somewhere in the middle. I want to own enough, only enough things that will fit into a tiny home, but I don't want to live in a tiny home itself. Yeah. You know, for me, the tiny home situation, it's the bathroom sitch, man. It's like you you can close the door, but you really don't have privacy in that bathroom. So <laughs> it's almost like you need two tiny homes. One is just a bathroom. One's an outhouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but a really nice outhouse. Right. Exactly. Yeah. With heated floors. Yeah. Right. Right. In the heated toilet seats, you know, one of those Japanese toilets. Yeah. Dude, um, I, uh, yeah, I, I and Mariah have considered a tiny house, but we are tall people. And <laughs> like our first documentary, uh, Minimalism, we uh, had a tiny house in there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was uh, Tammy, right? Yeah, Tammy Strobel. Yeah, Tammy Strobel and her husband. And I admired that so much. It was beautiful. Like every little bit of detail that they had. I mean, they just paid so much attention to detail. It was a gorgeous tiny home. But even in that gorgeous tiny home, I'm like, oh man, Mariah and I would just like be on top of each other, which I guess wouldn't be that bad. (laughs) (laughs) For you. (laughs) But you know what I really appreciated about their home though? They lived in uh, a beautiful area. They had beautiful scenery. Mount Shasta. Yeah. And with, yeah, Mount Shasta is just like, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a pretty amazing place, but what's why uh, what's really cool is that it just made them spend more time outside, which is which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know for for that aspect, maybe it is a good thing. Um, but yeah, tiny house, totally for it, love it, support it. It's beautiful. I don't. I want to own like a simple home, not mm-hmm. a tiny home, but like just a simple home. And that's what Bex and I have done with with our home. It's not tiny by any stretch of the imagination. The mm-hmm. the main house itself is. Um, about 1,400, 1,500 square feet. Mm-hmm. So three bedroom, two bath. Mm-hmm. Very simple, plain, in a very simple blue collar, up and coming neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to meet some of my neighbors. We'll talk about that in a little bit uh, during the lightning round as well. 
But also having access to nature, where the home is, was also important to us. So yeah. we wanted to be somewhere where there were mountains, but we also had access to the ocean if we wanted to drive there. Mm-hmm. And so that's important. We obviously can't afford a house on the ocean uh, <laughs> or even on the side of a mountain, but we have access to these things. Yeah. And, and so a tiny house in, well, St. Petersburg, Florida, probably makes a whole lot more sense or in Mount Shasta, mm-hmm. makes a whole lot more sense there than it would in Saskatoon. Right. Because in Saskatoon, part of the year, you don't have full access to nature. I mean, you do, but you'll freeze to death there, right? Mm-hmm. But it's going to be much more difficult to freeze to death in Mount Shasta. So part of the tiny home really has to do with its environment, the environment in which it's placed, because that becomes a giant room for you. Your mm. exterior is now your part of your living situation. Yeah. And so for us, that was important. We have a, a backyard. It's not too big. And uh, although we have this neighbor who has this giant um, shed that is getting ready to fall over on our fence. So we are trying to figure out that whole situation <laughs> still. And uh, you have to get in good with the neighbor so you can negotiate these, these things. That's but right. the tiny house thing, the question is like, yes, I really admire it, but is it appropriate for me? No. Mm-hmm. The amount of things that fit into a tiny home tends to be appropriate for me. I don't like mm-hmm. to have a lot of things because I like a calm, really simple space. Mm-hmm. But I also like to have more airiness, more space as well. The biggest feature of the, the house we just moved into is that it does have central air, but it's controlled by each room. Mm. And so you don't have to cool down the whole house if it's really hot out. You can just cool down the bedroom at night without cooling down the entire area. So you save money on that as well. Cool. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your questions. We read your comments. We read your smart remarks. You can send all those to 937-202-4654. Yes, indeed. Now, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. Podcast Sean, he takes our minimal maxims and he puts them in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like. And now you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place. Thanks to our good friend, Jessica Lynn Williams, minimalmaxims.com. Looks like we've got a question here from Esther. What do we look for in communities when we're ready to plant roots? You know, it's funny, the analogy here, planting roots, uh, seems like a very empowering analogy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The one in, that's in my mind quite often, and this is why I think I err on the side of renting personally, is it feels more like an anchor than a root. Mm. I live in a, I lived in a building na- uh, recently that my neighbor, I barely knew them at all. But they were real quiet, this Russian older couple who were in their 70s or maybe even in their 80s. And they were very, very quiet. Anytime I tried to talk to them, they would just kind of grunt a hello at me. like, mm-hmm. And I, to me, they were like the best neighbors in the world because they were loud. They never bothered me. They never got into any of my business. Yeah. And it, was, it cr- helped facilitate a calm environment. So here's my, my pithy answer. Actually, before I get into my pithy answer, I've been reading a lot of uh, Schopenhauer recently. And I found this quote of his that I thought applied to this. What a man is contributes much more to his happiness than what he has or how he is regarded by others. Hmm. Now, my pithy answer is this, and here's how they link up. The quality of your neighborhood is determined not by home prices, but by the quality of your neighbors. Yeah. Here's just a quick reminder for you, because we're all solipsistic to some extent. Also, keep in mind, you are someone else's neighbor as well. Mm Mm-hmm. 
It's not that everyone else is just neighbors in the neighborhood. Yeah. And it's your neighborhood. No, you're also their neighbor. And this is one of the the biggest selling points of the new house that we bought is I got to meet the neighbors on both sides. And I pulled up and the neighbor on one side, they had a sign on their porch that said, simplify for peace. (laughs) I was like, oh, I found my people. They're here, right? Mm. And the other people, I got to meet them before we bought the house. And they showed up and they were super kind to me and Ella and Bex and inquisitive and offering help. Have I got tools if you ever need it? If you, and I think that translates really well into a pithy minimal maxim that you have for us. Yeah, man. You know, when I heard, when I read this question, um, I was kind of thinking like, you know, it's, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a jerk, but it doesn't matter too much. Like what the community is because, you know, you kind of get what you put into a community. And I, there are certain things that we want to look for in communities. We want to be in a safe neighborhood. There are certain little aspects. But, you know, if you bring your the best version of yourself, then uh, that community, no matter what, you know, what it is politically, what it is socioeconomically, it could probably be an awesome community for you. So, yeah, my pithy answer is uh, ask not what your neighbor can do for you, but what can you do for your neighbor? Oh. Man. <laughs> and that is what really is going to make an amazing community. Because if you're looking for a community to see what you can take, then it's probably going to be a bad experience. Yes. But if you're looking at a community and asking yourself, what can I give? Like that's going to create uh, a pretty awesome living situation. Hey, Ryan, my dad used to have a saying that was very similar to what you had there. What's up? He said, if you want good neighbors, be a good neighbor. Amen. Oh. Tweet that podcast, Sean. <laughs> uh, what you're what you're talking about here is a parasitic relationship versus a contributing relationship. Yeah. And the nice thing about contributing is you tend to get things back, not with the expectation of quid pro quo. Right. But if you're a part of a community and you're giving, people tend to be more giving toward you by and large. Yeah. And so when I met those neighbors, I can guarantee you the people on the left side of my house voted for Joe Biden mm-hmm. and the people on the right side voted for, for Donald Trump in the last election. And I don't care. Yeah. Because that doesn't tell me about who they are because if I'm being a neighbor, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter to me who you voted for right. or what your political persuasions are, what your beliefs are, what your preferences are even. Mm-hmm. What matters to me is, can I be kind to you? Can I be compassionate toward you? And are you going to share that compassion back with me? Yeah, I, we put so much weight on, you know, who's, who's, who are the senators? Who's the president? Um, you know, this is, a, this is a silly way to look at how, uh, how our community is because you're, the president doesn't determine how you treat each other. Yeah, my my neighbor to the left of me or to the right of me has way more influence on my life than the president does. Yes, 100%. Because if they're being super inconsiderate and they're out every morning with a chainsaw at 5.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. cutting things down, mm-hmm. think what it's going to do to my day. Yeah. Much more than any politician can do to my day. Amen. And the opposite of that is also true. If I have a kind, caring neighbor, mm-hmm. that often amplifies my caring, my kindness. Mm-hmm. And allows me to approach the world in a more loving way. Yeah. Real quick, uh, right here, right now, here's one thing going on in the life of the minimalist. Actually, I got two things. We'll save one after the comments. But um, Ryan, minimalist.org, about eight years ago, we went to 100 different cities. Yeah. And we left behind 100 free local meetup groups Mm -hmm. all over the world. Eight countries, 
hundred different cities. There's also an online city if you don't have a city near you as well. Yeah. And you've been working with some of these community leaders. They tend to meet once a month mm-hmm. and now there's a monthly theme. You want to talk about some of those themes that yeah. we've had recently? Yeah. So now that some of the regulations have been lifted, uh, a lot of these groups are meeting in person, which I mean, that's that's the most powerful way to get something from your community is, is go out and meet people in person. Um, so yeah, we've got we've got groups in the UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada, the United States, and we have been doing just these different monthly themes. So um, uh, May was digital minimalism, mm-hmm. and now in June it is letting go. So if you want to like you know go and meet some open minded people like yourself, and you want to see how other people have let go, if you want to share a story about how you were able to let go. Um, check out those those in-person meetings. There's a, there's a lot of value there. And the next month, uh, July, it's financial clutter or financial minimalism yeah. will be the topic. And it's not limited to those topics, but that is sort of a jump off point. So you can talk about material clutter for sure, mm-hmm. showing up at these events, getting best practices from other people, career mm-hmm. clutter, financial clutter, relationship clutter, yeah. a lot of clutter in our lives. Mm-hmm. And these meetup groups, they're not all like-minded people. As we just discussed, your neighbors mm-hmm. aren't going to all be like-minded. But what is really nice is these groups have the open-minded people yeah. who are willing to see your perspective, see your point of view without judgment, without trying to drag you or convince you toward their point of view. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of these groups were to really provide provide support, in-person support to these local communities. And I just want to say, like, there's no agenda. It's not like every single group is talking about the same bullet points at every single meeting. And that's what I kind of like about it is each community kind of has its own thing going on. So like you said, uh, the topic of letting go or the topic of finances, it's more of a jump off point. It's not like a you know, you and I don't sit here and outline like, okay, here's what you have to talk about at each no. meeting. Yeah. 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 We we provide the foundation. Mm-hmm. They're your groups. They're not ours. We just left them behind in all of these cities. You can find all of them over at minimalist.org. We got a bunch more to talk about, Ryan. But first, Malabama, you got something for us? Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Hi, my name is Katie from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I was really close with my grandma who passed away probably about 12 years ago. And I ended up with a lot of her jewelry because that was what I played with as a kid. And as I've gone through my minimizing journey, I've decided to keep one thing and it's her class ring from 1948. I wear it every day. In fact, that's too small now. I can't even take it off and everything else I have let go. And that way I can always keep her with me. However, I don't have the, burden of all of her other jewelry. Hi, my name is Adrian, and I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, you guys were talking about meditation and how it could possibly lead you to a dark place if you have never done that before, and you spent like maybe a long time in meditation, and I just have a lot of insight into that. I just wanted to share that, yes, it could bring yourself to a dark place. However, for me personally, I was able to uncover a lot of traumatic events that I've suppressed since childhood through meditation. And although that led me to a very dark place initially, it led me to where I am now, which is a much happier version of myself. Um, So I just wanted to share that for listeners who may be turned off by that idea. Um, I think that it is worth it to meditate. All right, y'all, before we get to a fun added value segment this week, here's a sincere comment from one of our lovely Patreon subscribers, 
Ryan Brooke said this. She wrote in. She said, I stumbled across your podcast by accident. I've been working in a high-stress career as a real estate agent where I feel so much pressure every day. Recently, I started to feel a massive void. And even though I earn over $200,000 a year, wow, I found myself with only $700 to my name. Mm, I can relate with that. Amen. Which put, put me into a spiral of despair. I can relate with that as well. Yeah. Then I started listening to your private podcast. I've been a listener for a few months now and have already started a transformation within myself. I began limiting my exposure to negative and toxic clients so that I could prioritize my time with my family. I found your private podcast at the right time, literally within 48 hours of hitting rock bottom. Thank you both for helping me let go. Mm. I want to talk about letting go real quick. Danny, maybe this will make a good TikTok. We'll see here. But um, letting go is not something you do. It's something you stop doing. And people often ask, how do I let go? I'm struggling letting go of my couch or my excess clothes or all of these things in my cabinets, my storage locker. I just can't let go. So let's do a breathing exercise, Ryan. We'll do it together here. All right. I want you to breathe in deep and hold it. All right. Now, what do you have to do? How do you let go? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) The key is there is no how to. Mm. It's the letting go. It's the exhale. Mm. It's something you stop doing. You stop holding your breath. Mm. That's how you let go. And the same thing is true with any of our material possessions or toxic relationships or a toxic career or toxic clients. You simply stop holding on. You stop clinging. That is how you let go. Mm. Brooke, thank you so much for your comment. Another right here, right now segment. Here's one more thing going on in the life of the minimalist. Ryan and I are having a measuring contest. (laughs) What are we measuring again? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, in just a few days, we are going to be at the daytime Emmys. If you want to check your local listings, I don't know if our segment is going to air or whether or not we will win. I just put out this essay called For Your Consideration. Mm. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Talking about sort of my mixed feelings about being nominated for an Emmy uh, for our most recent Netflix film, Less Is Now. And on one hand, it's really great to get acknowledged, especially because it breathes new life into the film. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, like awards for art seem a little strange to me. Sure. It's so highly subjective and abstruse. It's art, right? Who gets to say, well, this is great art and this isn't. Mm -hmm. And so I am grateful for it. I don't need it. We're not clinging to it, Mm -hmm. but we are uh, going to go get measured for tuxedos. (laughs) That's what we're measuring. Okay. Oh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the whole New York Times bestselling thing. I mean, it's not why we do it. It's not something that, in fact, I actually don't like talking about it because it feels a bit braggadocious. Yeah. But the accolades are pretty cool. I mean, it's, uh, I can appreciate the recognition for what it is, but, you know, those those accolades do not make or break me as a man. Well, let's talk about that real quick because I feel a bit more allergic to the New York Times bestselling thing. Hmm than I do to the Emmy thing. Interesting. But I I know that they're all... Well, here's why. The New York Times bestselling thing purports to be subject or objective. Oh, right, yeah. But we all know, like, I'm thinking about 
our most recent book, Love People Use Things, was a technically a New York Times bestselling book, right? Mm-hmm. But our second book, Everything That Remains, probably sold 70 times more copies than that book. Right. And it's not a New York Times bestseller because we didn't play the same game. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's all kind of BS, though. Like, because with the Emmys, it's the same thing. It's like our film Minimalism, uh-huh. um, you know, has gotten millions and millions of views. Um, it's, it's beautifully directed. It's, it's uh, you know, same director as Less Is Now. A d- d- little bit different of a team, uh, production team. But long story short, like, it's the same exact thing. We weren't nominated for anything with that first documentary because we independently published it. So it, it is all... It is all kind of BS in yeah, a way. Yeah. yeah. And, but it, as soon as you recognize that, you can see the specialness of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You, you can realize like, oh, I appreciate what this is doing for the film. It doesn't have to do anything for my own ego or my hubris. I don't need to win. We can go there. We can just be happy that the thing was nominated. Mm-hmm. I don't need that either. I'm not going to cling to it, but I'm also not going to renounce it. Yeah. And that's what you've really helped me with, Ryan, not mm-hmm. renouncing any of these things because as soon as I renounce it, oh, bah, humbug. Mm-hmm. Well, now I'm tied to it. The same yeah. way Scrooge is tied to Christmas, right? Or the Grinch is tied to Christmas as well, right? It's yeah. Like, oh, bah, humbug. I, I can't. I'm going to renounce this. Well, now that defines who I am. Mm-hmm. And so not renouncing it, but also not clinging to it. Yeah. Holding it loosely and always being prepared to let go. Yeah. Ryan, it is summertime now for our added value this week. I have a song for you. When we moved to our new house, Ella and Bex and I were listening to this album all weekend, just driving around the small town and uh, through the mountains, went over to the beach for a while. And oh, this album, Ben Rector, his new album called out, it's called The Joy of Music. And this song is called It Would Be You. And it is some of the greatest upbeat summertime music. Enjoy the song from Ben Rector. Here's It Would Be You. By the way, Ryan, we got a bunch more surprise questions this week. Like, there's an overwhelming amount of knowledge needed when it comes to home buying, like taxes, zoning, maintenance, HOAs, financing, insurance. Where are you supposed to learn all this? Well, Ryan, I got two places you can learn and we'll tell you where. What are the pros and cons of full-time RV living, tiny houses, condos, and other non-traditional living options? What are the pros and cons of renting out extra space on platforms like Airbnb and VRBO? We'll talk to Ryan about that because he has a uh, home that he rents out on Airbnb regularly. What are the benefits of buying locally versus shopping online? Plus a million more questions for The Minimalist. We're also going to drag podcast Sean onto the podcast to give him a farewell from Los Angeles. If you want to hear all that, check out The Minimalist private podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash The Minimalist to subscribe and get your personal link so that our weekly private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You'll also gain immediate access to hundreds of hours of private archives, recordings of live events, exclusive home tours, and our private community of thousands of open-minded minimizers like you. You can follow The Minimalist on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Follow Podcast Sean at Podcast Sean. If you want our podcast show notes in your inbox, curated by Podcast Sean, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, Podcast Sean, Other Sean, or Sean 2, or New Sean, <laughs> Alabama, Jordan No More, Social Jess, Danny Unknown, Post Production Peter, Emma the Immigrant, and the rest of our team. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. If you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for being here, y'all.
We'll see you next time. If there was anyone I'd want to spend about a hundred days with 